Close your eyes. You're suddenly standing in a warm, humid rainforest. You hear the sounds of birds, monkeys and a stream nearby. You struggle forwards through the dense forest, clearing bushes out of the way. In the corner of your eye you see a flash of pink. You quickly turn your head and see something big storming towards you. Hi everybody, my name is Ruben and I'm sitting here with... Kat and Joel. This is the third episode of our podcast series of Bones, Brains and Pink Elephants. Most people have the ability to imagine the scenario I just described. And most people would have seen the pink elephant in the corner of their eye. Visual imagery is defined as the ability to conjure up pictures in the mind or a visual representation of things, persons or scenarios without external sensory input. Not only does this ability help with revisiting memories, this allows humans to combine and reform visual memories and create mental representations of objects or scenarios that don't exist. It gave us the ability to fantasize and might have been pivotal for Homo sapiens to colonize this planet. In this episode, we'll discuss the experience of visual imagery, how visual imagery affects someone's worldview, and how it can be used to motivate yourself to achieve your goals. Do you guys often use visual imagery in daily life? Use? How do you use it? Well, for example, maybe if you've lost something, you're retracing your steps to oh, get yeah. it back. Yeah, to like imagine where I left it the last time mm-hmm. or walk through my house and be like, where is it? Or with memories, of course, you can, mem- you can remember a certain scenario you were in. It's usually me who's lost and then I'm retracing my own steps. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think... I didn't I and I when when we were making this episode I was thinking about um do I really imagine things visually in my in my head essentially and I don't think so I think maybe when I'm cooking or so I I imagine how the dish how I want the dish to look in the end because then for me it's it kind of is tastier when it's pretty <laughs> This podcast will include an interview with Julie G, postdoctoral fellow at Western Australia University. She'll talk about her research on future thinking using visual imagery and relations with emotions, such as motivation and depression. Then we'll discuss recent findings on visual imagery strength differences and we'll end with a validated experiment you too can participate in to measure your own personal visual imagery strength. Stay tuned! Visual imagery can have substantial emotional effects. Think about a hungry shark chasing you in the water, or walking on a tightrope in between two skyscrapers. Your palms might begin to sweat a little. Not only does it affect fear, it can also help for motivating purposes. If you visualize your favorite dish and your stomach begins to grumble, you'll go to the supermarket and pick out the specific ingredients to make it, probably using visual imagery. But how does visual imagery affect emotions and is mental imagery in any way related to psychiatric disorders? We talked to Dr. Julie G. Let's hear her tell about herself. Hello, my name is Julie G. I'm a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Western Australia School of Psychological Science here. My research primarily focuses on future thinking and 
kind of distortions in future thinking, particularly emotional types of、uh, future thinking. So I asked Julie where her interest in this topic comes from and what her favorite experiment in this field is. Yeah, that's a good question. I think I'm naturally someone who's very, very visual in my thinking. I think my my interest comes from the fact that I live with it and I use it all the time, and I can't imagine not having it. It's how I look forward to things in life. It's how I choose what dishes I want to eat at the restaurant or what activities I want to engage in. I'm constantly kind of thinking about the future in this visual, sensory way. So that's why I'm sticking with this interest because it's just so yeah, very fascinating to me. But I think the coolest one is maybe one that was、uh, published in Science actually by Carrie Morwedge and colleagues. So it was actually looking at imagined consumption. They looked at the difference between imagining eating M&Ms. Um, from a table, many, many, many times versus only a few times, and how that led to satiation. So that when you actually had the chance to eat as many as you want, people who imagined eating more M&Ms earlier ate less when they had the opportunity、wow. to. It was a very tightly controlled study, and it was showing that imagining experience has, you know, to a weaker effect, but similar impact functionally on your system, on your body, and on your, you know, motivational system. Uh, as as actual experience, I guess thoughts and pictures in your head are not just they don't just exist and then disappear. They have an impact on you. That's why I'm interested yeah, in、definitely. this area. Yeah. So I asked her if emotional association only comes from visual imagery or if other senses are also involved. Yeah. So when when we say imagery, it's predominantly visual, but of course it includes other senses. So. Usually, when we experience something, it's multi-sensory. But you know, auditory imagery could be sounds or speech. But it depends if it comes with the scene. You know, I think the emotional impact comes from what the meaning of that event was. So the the auditory image, you know, the you can imagine hearing something, and that may bring back a memory or a imagine a future experience. Like, you know, the sound of the ocean may draw up. A visual picture of the ocean, and then you have that full modal experience. So it's all part、yeah. of an episode. It's an episodic way of simulating the future. So an、uh, episodic simulation of events is a combination of all senses. Julie mentioned that if this simulation in our mind closely resembles reality or normal perception, then this might approximate the properties of a real experience, which in part can have motivational or emotional impacts in your life. Julie was a co-author on a paper investigating the relation between future thinking using mental imagery and someone's mood. Would you guys say you have a pessimistic or optimistic worldview? Oh, I have a quite pessimistic worldview. Yeah, I definitely、same. know where that comes from. Yeah, at some point <laughs> I was very adamant that I'm a I'm a realist, so I have a realistic <laughs>、yeah. view of the world. But I think I'm quite a pessimist <laughs> overall. Let's be、yeah. honest here. And and why and how why would you say you're a pessimist? Like, I think I always count with um the worst, in, both in people and in situations. So I always have like a plan B, C, and D, and and F, and X, Y, Z. So it's not like um. I I never count with like stuff being the best it can be. So、yeah. and also I think it's a it's a bit weird because if stuff if if things go do go well, 
then I I also don't feel like such huge um, positive emotion either because I'm kind of always shielding myself yeah. from positive emotions. Not the best uh, characteristic, I would say. Not yeah. the best thing to do now. I don't oh, recommend. Yeah, <laughs> no, I I don't think I am a pessimist myself as in as a person, but. Yeah, I don't know. I, I do have quite a like, like like you said. I always, I'm all, I'm almost like, yeah, I'm just realistic. But I think most people would call it pessimistic. I think it's uh, kind of the same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I think I'm an optimist. I don't know. I think so. Oh yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Let's hear Julie's explanation. Good, good question. I mean, there's in the paper that you mentioned and another paper that came after that. Basically, we were interested in, I was interested in, you know, we've heard of optimism and pessimism, which is uh, your general feelings about the future. But like, where does that come from? Um, yes, to some extent, some people are just more optimistic in general, or some people are just more pessimistic, but it, it varies. People change in their day-to-day levels of how you feel about the future, right? It's not yeah. fixed. In our, in our studies, we showed that what, what we do is get people to do a very boring task in the lab. So they literally have to watch the computer screen and press buttons when the number comes up, but sometimes not press it. So it's a very low cognitive load task. Anyone can do, but it's very monotonous. And then what? after a while, people tend to mind wander. They get very, really bored and start thinking about the things they need to, need to do or what's going to happen later. Um, so we get people to report that in real time. So they press a button when they realize, oh, I've just had a mental trip somewhere and I've come back to this room now. Um, they're zoned out and then they've come back. So they press a button when that happens. And then we quickly ask them a few, three questions, uh, like was it about the past or future or only about the present? Did it involve mental pictures or was it only just verbal? And was it emotionally positive or negative, basically? So we do that. They they you know, the task takes about 25 minutes, so we really torture these participants. And we then see what type of, basically what type of mind-wandering content they experience in a controlled environment. So everyone's sitting in the same room with no stimulation, you know, just everything is standardized, except what's happening in their heads, right? So what we found was that basically on that day, how, how optimistic people felt about the future was related to how many positive mental imagery-based future thoughts they had. It was great. It was pretty cool that we found a relationship between your just daily, that day, how optimistic you were at that time of doing the task and how many positive, not just thoughts, but Im- images about the future you had. Do you guys often have mind wanderings? And have you uh, ever associated them with positive or negative emotions? For me, I really never thought about that, uh, but it seems cool. Oh yeah, my mind does wander a lot. Mm. Do you mean like daydreaming? Yes, exactly, daydreaming. Oh, that's usually positive for me, but mm. I'm not. I'm often just imagining unlikely situations or mm-hmm. fancy situations, like not the future or anything. Just well, maybe thinking about like a story or book or a movie or the scenery or like not future. Yeah, I know what you mean. I also don't imagine myself doing things in the future, so I I don't think so. I mean, but my da- my mind does wonder, but it's usually wondering to practical things again. So like if I have uh, an email to write 
then in any spare minute I will be thinking about what to write in the email. You'll be writing in the email over. But that's, yeah, that's yeah. future thinking. That's yeah, yeah. I need so, to write an email, but is does it have a post a positive or a negative associate? Are you like, oh yes, I'm gonna write that email, or are you like, oh hell, I need to write that email? Yeah, I'm usually for emails. I'm like, oh, I have to. Oh, no, yeah, wait. But oh, always. Damn, like, yeah, I have to write email. the email. Julie's current work is focused on using mental imagery to increase behavioral aspects in people with depression. This technique works in healthy individuals as well. Let's hear Julie talk about her current research. What, what my current work is looking at is how does this, because we know, you know, I'm trying to link it to the, the behavior. So we know that, you know, Depressed mood is maintained and exacerbated by a lack of reward-seeking behaviors, right? So, like, when you feel down, you don't want to do anything, you're not motivated. It's like, what's the point? And then that doesn't help things, right? That's when you should be doing the opposite. You should be doing many things and getting out there and forgetting about whatever is troubling you. And just and how we make decisions about what, whether some, whether we want to do something, you know, motivation, motivation to engage in activities that require effort and time and risk. How do we decide whether we want to do it? We use future thinking. So in that study, we were interested in looking at how do we motivate people to do to behave in ways that they consistent that are consistent with their goals. So, you know, we all have things we want to do more of, like more exercise, more healthy eating, more social engagement, these kind of things. So we had participants who are, you know, just students in our department. They all nominated two activities that they want to do more of in the next week. So they are reward activities. One is a pleasurable activity. So things that just feel good when you do them immediately. And one is a mastery activity. So these are things that feel really good when you've done it. So you have a sense of accomplishment. Mm -hmm. And then they put them in the diary. So it has to be something that you could do every day if you wanted. The control condition just did that and then they finished. Um, but in the other conditions, we had two other conditions. One is the imagery condition. So it's called the motivational imagery condition. So we had people then in this condition, people uh, then were guided to mentally simulate themselves engaging in the activities that they just put in their diary. So they had to be very episodic about it, so very specifically imagining themselves in a specific place and time, doing that actual, that specific activity, and how that would feel, so that the emotional reward that they would experience, but also the steps involved in doing that activity. Uh, well, in the other condition, it was the motivational reasoning condition. We had people go through all the reasons why they should do these activities and what are the benefits, kind of like convincing themselves why it's a good thing to do it. So that's mm -hmm. the reasoning approach. We wanted to see who did more activities in the next week, where we found that, yeah, imagining the imagery motivational condition was had a higher frequency of activity engagement in the following week compared to the control, which is just putting the activities in your diary. But the motivational reasoning condition didn't differ from um, the control condition. So it was more evidence consistent with the idea that imagery can maybe boost motivation a bit more. What The results I talked about just now are the behavioral results, but we also measured people's subjective motivation in the, in the lab. And what that 
showed was that the imagery condition had bigger impacts on your immersion at, at the time. So you felt better after simulating doing the activities and that made you more feel more motivated. Also in the behavioral data, we showed that these people also did more, more of those activities than the control condition. And this is taking into account how many times they actually wanted to do the activity. Because, you know, maybe everyone in that imagery group just wanted to do more frequently the activities. So it wasn't, we showed that that was not different across the conditions, but also the, um, the analysis itself took, took into account people's goals. So it's, it's really how well you behaved compared to your goal. So how can we use mental imagery to help achieve our own goals more easily? What the results showed was that the imagery motivational effect was specifically in activities that people were putting off already. So it doesn't work for eating mm. chocolate, right? Nobody needs help with that. But it's the ones that we keep putting off. That's where it makes a little bit more of a difference. You know, when we put off things, it's not that we forget that they're good things. We know they're good things, but we put it off because there's always something else that's important or we don't have, you know, I have this every week, this battle with exercise. It's always, do I put it off or do I do it? And I think that the association between the reward, how good I feel after exercising, if that is very strong, with that's very salient and very clear in my mind, then yeah, I'm more, it's easier for me to just change, you know, go to the gym. Whereas if I really can't picture that in my mind, like I don't remember, it's been so long, then all the effort and the, all the barriers win, basically. It's, it's always the, mm. the benefit versus the costs. The costs yeah. are very easy in my mind because I have to go out in the cold and Energy. hard work. <laughs> but the reward, if we can make the reward more salient, by giving, getting people, helping people to simulate that experience and accessing that reward, not just helping them to know that something is rewarding, but to pre-experience it as rewarding, then yeah, that has a greater emotional, motivational impact on people. Just makes it, it could be not necessarily enough to change your behavior instantly, but you know, it's, we're talking about step step. helping people, yeah, facilitating that process more that people should um, understand the power of mental imagery. Um, so mm. there is difference between knowing something to be true and experiencing it to be true, obviously, but you can also pre-experience or re-experience something in your mind. And that's what we're talking about here. It's the simulation of experience. So basically, using mental imagery to episodically simulate tasks has way more emotional impact than just reasoning about the benefits of said task. So instead of abstract concepts, if you visually imagine a task, you're more likely to do it and enjoy it. Do you think you will uh, use this technique in your daily lives? Well, not for my sports, because I just really like it's so I don't really have to motivate myself to go there. Yeah, but you but, ride uh, horses, so yeah, that's fun. So that's that's <laughs> bench presses don't sound that fun no. to me. Oh, I hope that with like going to a uh, a gym, like nothing there is fun to do. So I just couldn't motivate myself to just. Not. Or is it, it more about imagining the reward? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's making yeah. the reward association more salient in your brain. So yeah. instead of walking. Uh, uh, 
against a wall of an abstract concept like a report, you're actually going through it step by step. Like, oh, I need to go to my room, start a computer, whatever. I don't yeah, know. okay. Maybe I can I can uh, tr- try that in the yeah. future and see if that works. Uh, I don't know. I think I think in this sense it might be maybe easier to um, like set yourself like smaller goals rather than having it like yeah if I finish the whole thing <laughs> yeah exactly and then I hand it in I'll have like a good feeling maybe yeah but to to have that you need to break down the whole uh, report s- step by step because otherwise it's just one abstract thing and it's yeah, really yeah. hard to. I mean, I understand the concept, but I'm like, what's the mental imagery part of it? I mean, I always plan things beforehand. And if I write a report, I have different chapters. I'm like, this chapter is finished. Now this chapter is finished. I mean, (laughs) it's more like planning than actually that that it actually has to do with mental imagery. Well, the planning part, she actually talked about uh, uh, how the experiment was set up. And um, there was one group who only planned it. So they put it in their agenda. They didn't visually imagine it. And that group had less motivation and engagement than the, the planning group. So yeah. apparently it, is, it does work. Uh, yeah, better so, but then you're plan. not talking about the planning itself. Without, but like I plan to write this chapter, but I also have to imagine me, myself, writing this chapter and feeling accomplished when I finish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's more about realizing what mental imagery can do and then understanding how that how that way of thinking can impact our emotions and our motivations um, to basically help us understand why, you know, why we feel a certain way, why we're, yeah. So it's kind of, the more we know about how our mind works, the more we can benefit from taking control of it and using it for our goals, you know. Mm. Awesome. Thank you very much. Many of you may already know that differences in vividness of mental imagery can differ among people, but this belief is rather new. The concept of the mind's eye dates back to 340 before Christ, where the concept was first recorded in Aristotle's book De Amina, or On the Soul, where he describes a distinct capacity between perception and thought, and coined it Phantasia. Aristotle even went as far to say, the soul in fact never thinks without a phantasma, as the general belief at the time was that thoughts required images. Only in 1880, more than two millennia later, a British psychologist Francis Galton reported a variability in visual imagery. He asked 100 participants to imagine their breakfast table. Of those 100, 12 reported vague images or no images at all. This was the first recorded evidence of differences in vividness of mental imagery. It turned out that individuals report large differences in their ability to visually imagine. Some people can conjure up mental images almost as detailed as if their eyes were open, while others have a hard time to imagine details and can only visualize a black and white outline. Some are able to hold the image for a long time, while others can only imagine it for a couple of seconds. In fact, there are those who have never been able to visually imagine at all. This condition is called aphantasia. You might have heard of it before. It's now estimated that 1-3% to of the population experiences aphantasia, while 10-15% to 
experiences the opposite, hyperphantasia. So, imagination is a spectrum. Did you guys know that? Have you ever thought about that? Yeah, I've heard about this before, That, um, uh, but I don't know where I heard about this, but um, it was quite surprising when I thought that some people can't really imagine like an item. If you tell them, imagine a pink elephant or imagine an apple or just like very mundane things. Um, like some people are like the daydreamers. They yeah. are like imagining whole scenarios or for example my sister can like can recall really detailed memories for example like this happened and i was wearing this and this and this and like i don't even know but it is also partly memory and partly imagination i think Mm -hmm. because you can conjure the image of what happened there very vividly but then also it really depends on a whole lot of factors i think in that case how vividly you remember something It is hard to measure the individual experience of mental imagery as it is not physical and it's only represented in one's mind. But the use of brain scans makes this possible. Studying brains of people with aphantasia using brain scans while performing mental tasks provides a great opportunity to learn about mental imagery and the brain and relations to emotions. One lab in Sydney called the Future Minds Lab is focused on finding out what causes individual differences in vividness of mental imagery. fMRI scans show more brain activity in people with less vivid imagination. This is because their neurons need more stimulation to get activated and thus they have a lower average vividness. Next we'll do a short experiment. It is called the Vividness of Visual Imagery Questionnaire. It consists of a couple of questions that invite you to consider the image formed when thinking about specific situations or things. The idea is to compare the picture formed in your mind with how you know it looks in real life. Is the scenario you're imagining as vivid as in the real world, a little less vivid, not vivid, or completely absent? Rate the vividness from 1 to 5, with 1 being completely absent five being as vivid as real life. Close your eyes. Visualize a rising sun. Carefully consider the image that comes to mind and rate the next scenarios from one no image to five as vivid as real life. The sun just starts appearing at the horizon as it rises into a cloudy sky. The sky clears and surrounds the sun with blueness. Clouds A storm blows up with flashes of lightning. A rainbow appears. The moment you mentioned the rainbow, everything everything else just disappeared. And I just (laughs) saw a white background with the rainbow for some reason. And for me, it was also the storm. It was like, there 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 was sun and suddenly there's a storm. (laughs) I was like, okay, so... Yeah, poof, it was like (laughs) quite a a fast transition. Yeah, but the storm itself was very vivid. I mean... I can really see like the whole and the thunder really and the thunder a really strikes. high dark cloud with yeah. thunder and everything. Second scenario: Think of the front of a shop which you often go to. Consider the picture that comes before your mind's eye. You look towards the shop from the opposite side of the road. You walk towards the shop and look at the window and the colors, shapes, and details of the individual items for sale. 
you near the entrance and see the color, shape and details of the door. You enter the shop and go to the counter. <laughs> the counter assistant serves you and you pay with your card. I just imagine the shop where I work. No. <laughs> but okay. the fun thing is you were like imagine the details and then when I, when I started focusing on like the books in the in the window then everything else disappeared and I just was mm. thinking about the single book yes exactly there was, a, there was a, as I talked about when I think about my my desk it's like I can see the books but then I cannot see the 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 papers or the, yeah. the, the I can like see <laughs> the different books on the shelves but if I want to focus on a single book and see which book it is then everything else disappears mm. that's funny no, I can see, I can see the Albert Heine fully, yeah. <laughs> in its full glory. You can, can imagine the, yeah. every single sandwich. The trolley is on the right, there's carpets underneath, and there's these flower stands on the left. As you might have realized with the last scenario, sometimes visual imagery is accompanied by other sensual imagery. Maybe you heard the assistant talk, or you imagined a smell associated with the shop. These are also mental images, albeit from different sensory organs. The next few questions will give you a sense of your own unique multi-sensory imagination spectrum. Rate the strength of imagery from 1 to 5, with 1 being no image and 5 being as vivid as real perception. We start with the auditory sense, or the ability to imagine sounds or voices. Do you ever have a song stuck in your head? And if you do, are you able to really reimagine every note, each specific note? Notes, yes. Words, no. I'm really bad with that. Uh, maybe no notes and words, but not that. More like I know which note it is and I know which word it is, but not like I can hear the voice of the singer, or for example. If you think about like Morgan Freeman. Like his voice. That's like a really known voice. I can definitely hear him speaking in my head right now. Shawshank <laughs> <laughs> Redemption. I'm just really trying to imagine Morgan Freeman, but like I think I, I get distortions of the of the sound, of hmm. voice. Yeah, I don't think I'm that good with voices. <laughs> no. Okay, yes, okay. So. Let's 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 uh, go to the next one. Uh, this one is tactile or the ability to imagine touch or textiles. So imagine petting a dog. How do you think it feels, or how do you imagine it feels? Fluffy. Yes, fluffy. <laughs> but I have a dog at home, so it's yeah, also okay. a memory. <laughs> now imagine a wet dog. Oh. Does it change? Does the texture change? That, that's not a good texture. No, <laughs> no but I, I immediately go to the smell, but yeah, okay. not yeah, a good nice. texture. Yeah. <laughs> that's also associated. Of also, course. like there's always sand and everything. Yeah, so, so so as uh, as Julius well mentioned, it's all this episodic simulation, which includes all the the sensor, uh, sensory organs. Um, so the next one is kinesthetic, or the ability to imagine your body. In certain poses for example picture yourself on the back of a horse which is easy for <laughs> joella of course or during a bumpy ride you know, in a car could it, you feel or it imagine yourself when you actually do it <laughs> you're supposed to be imagining it but we're all like bumping it around <laughs> um, like yeah i think so but not super vividly if I, th I think about like on the being on the tennis court, I can just imagine myself hitting the, yeah. the thing. So. Okay, yeah, maybe. But also, like, 
how do you know how vivid it is? It's like, can you recreate it from memory? Is that, is that does that have true mental imagery, or is that just because I can pretend I'm driving a car? I know how that works. Yes, <laughs> but, but if you imagine, if I yourself... see myself driving a car, is that kinesthetics or is it just my is that visual imagery? Mm, that's a good one. <laughs> it's the feeling of of the 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 movement of your body. So it's it's also the the feeling of something moving, like if you. I can do, do it if yeah. I focus really hard, yeah. but it's not a, a sensory um, experience that I go to uh, by default. Mm. I think for no. me it's the same as with like the uh, voices. I really have to try quite hard. Mm. I think I think I can do it, but I have to try like really focus. Mm, okay. Okay. Then we will go to the next one. It's the taste one, the ability to recall a taste. Can you recall the taste of your favorite fruit? For example, a strawberry or an apple. Kind of. No. But it also depends on like if it's something. If I think about something sour, then I can already feel it yeah. in my mouth. But that's also just because other reactions in your body. It's not specifically because I imagine the taste. I find out that I do not have any taste imagery. Uh, nor any smell imagery. If I look back at memories, there none of my memories have yeah, but any that smell is, or taste in it. Is that because oh. you don't just don't remember? Because well, if you if I think back about no, like no. being in the stables, I don't like really uh, consciously recall the smell or something. No, but but remembering is also a difference uh, uh, from imagining, um, like. Aphantastic people can remember all things, but they cannot imagine it. Yeah. Like, so let's go to the last one, the olfactory one, or the smell one. The ability to recall a smell. Imagine an apple pie. Can you smell it? Definitely. Yeah, yeah. I can do this one. But <laughs> this is strongly associated with a certain memory, so mm -hmm. that might also help. This specific apple pie smell. Mm -hmm. But the, yes, thinking about a memory, it's also, yeah, imagining, of course. Uh, yeah, but then if you have Aphantasia, you can still remember things, so it's not completely. No, the they same. cannot. They cannot imagine Th memories. No. They don't have memories. They d they have no vif visual memories. And and most people with Aphantasia have way lower uh, other sensual uh, imagination. So. But often. how do you remember things if you don't? They do that uh, through. For example, if they remember uh, a picture, they s uh, look at the geometry, so the angles between certain things, instead of having a visual picture. Mm. It's really weird, but the thing is, it takes more energy, the brains take more energy to do it that way, and that's why we do it the visual way, because it's just more energy efficient. doesn't mean our brains can uh, do, uh, doesn't mean our brains, brains can't do without, because as you can see, the aphantastic people can have memory only using different brain uh, systems, I guess. So the brain is just very plastic. It usually goes for the least amount of energy, but if that's impossible, it just finds another way to uh, get to the same conclusion. What, uh, what would you rate as your strongest sense imagination? I think it was the smell for me, because I, I do have a really like big smell recall. But also, I know, and and I think like in the beginning I said that I can't really imagine 
the whole bear thing but i do think that for example when i'm writing exams or something i i can remember how a note looked on the page that's why i'm quite i'm a big highlighter person and um color person so in my notes when I used to take proper notes. Um, I would have everything highlighted in different colors, and like, um, so then I could remember how the information looked on the page. So then visual memory, I think, or visual recall is the biggest for me. I think for me as well, but I think I think that is for a lot of people. Yes, that's that's super logical because your your visual cortex is like one third of your brain. Uh, So. But also, you see everything, exactly. even if you don't smell. I mean, I don't smell my notes <laughs> or taste them, but I can see them. You don't? <laughs> no, but uh, as it also takes up most brain space for uh, compared to other senses, it's um, it's kind of yeah, somewhat logical mm. to say that it's most vivid for most people. So, what is your weakest imagination? The imagining myself in space doing things i never do that the kinesthetic yeah. one that yeah. kinesthetic i think one, yeah. that it's i find it really hard to like judge which one is weaker because for example with hearing a smell i also have to try really hard Ex- but there is no there is no base level right no you compare it to yourself which is like is that even comparing right um, mental imagery affects the way we experience the world Julie G. explained that the emotional association of spontaneous future thoughts using mental imagery is associated to someone's mood, and that using mental imagery to episodically simulate future goals can improve your own motivation and pleasure. Visual imagery works using the same brain areas associated with normal perception. Differences in vividness can be explained by the excitability of the visual cortex. Everyone has a different imagination spectrum, giving everyone a unique personality. I hope you find out about your own imagination spectrum. In the description will be a link to a site you can do a more extensive test. Thank you for listening to this episode. And thank you for sticking with us throughout the whole series. If you want to help us evaluate this project, please fill out the form in the description. It only takes five minutes and we really appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Goodbye.